This episode is a continuation of the previous episode from Across the Aisle podcast with Senator Bobby Zirkin. Please make sure you've listened to the previous episode before continuing with this one. Enjoy. Hi, this is Senator Bobby Zirkin. Thank you so much for listening to Across the Aisle podcast. Please be advised that the podcast may deal with legislation and issues of suicide, drug abuse, domestic abuse, crime and punishment and violence, and other such sensitive issues. Thank you again for listening to Across the Aisle podcast. What I thought was interesting was people who I found were more partisan, a lot of times were less ideological. That this is just for them, it's almost like a, a competitive sport, or you know, we're we're going against this other team. Whereas people who are very uh, ideological sometimes were not as partisan. And I think it, that's right. at least when he was in the state senate, I don't know now in Congress. I think Congress makes everybody more partisan. But uh, Jamie Raskin was very nonpartisan in a lot of ways when you would work with him. Actually, I remember having this conversation one time, and we were trying to work on a bill. I said to him, well, this isn't like good politics. He says, don't talk to me about politics ever. Just just talk about the policy. Let's figure out the policy that's good. I thought, that's a good lesson. That's a good way to think of it. Didn't you do a big bill with him? Yeah, we did uh, civil asset forfeiture. So after after he had passed the initial bill, which was— What is that? For those who don't know what that is. Yeah, so civil asset forfeiture is the, a power that the state has through a civil procedure to basically take your property. So a good example, common one, would be that if you're pulled over for a traffic stop and they suspect that you are trafficking drugs— uh, that they can basically take your car, they can take your cash. So if you have a bunch of cash with you and they say, hey, where'd you get all this cash? You know, and they don't believe that you're a delivery man or whatever. They think it's drug tainted. That So they could just take the cash. And there were all these horrendous examples of people who had been traveling with actual like money and it had somebody like the police come and take their money and they would say, well, you had to go, you had to, go to court and prove that you were not trafficking drugs. So it was. It turned the whole process on its head of what we think of the American justice system because you had to prove your innocence versus the state proving your guilt. And so, and it's a civil procedure, so it's not criminal, right? So a lot of the constitutional protections that you would have in a criminal procedure did not exist because it's civil. So we had to set up. Uh, we reformed the system, came up with a better one. Uh, Jamie had passed a bill a year before, which had some problems in it to the point where the ACLU and the police, they didn't both didn't like it. And those were the groups on either side. The civil right. libertarians were on one side, the police, prosecutors on the other. I was more with the civil libertarians, but we ended up redoing it, and we, we passed a good bill where it was funny. When I remember that the Senate, we started out, and the police were all lined up against it. We worked with them, you know, and we uh, when I went over to the House and did it, I had the Maryland State Police on my one side and the ACLU on the other side. Actually, Joe Valerio was a big part of that. I because remember. I remember you had a big press conference on it, too. Yeah, we did. And Joe Valerio, uh, who we talked about earlier, Joe was, what was he, committee chair for 30 years? Or yeah, forever. He was committee chair for 30 years, older Italian guy, probably one of the most prominent defense attorneys in the state. Yeah. And he had had a case where um, at a liquor store where the, the kid of the parents who owned the liquor store was selling, I think, marijuana or something outside the liquor store. I don't know if he sold it inside the liquor store, whatever. The parents didn't know. And the state came in and seized the whole liquor store. 
And Joe had the paperwork, and he showed me he was incensed about it. He thought this was so unfair that the state had come and seized and taken a whole liquor store because the kid was selling pot out in front of it. Right. So Joe was very helpful to it. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, think about that story, right? As we sit here today, 2023, I mean, Jamie Raskin is one of my close, close, close friends, and I know he's a close friend of yours, too, but he, you know, entered your, you know, your last election, which... Yeah, not on my side. Right. I mean, it's like... (laughs) Yeah. But, like, you know... And I adore him, and you know he's just getting over cancer treatments, all the rest. Mm-hmm. He, I went down to go visit him uh, one time in Washington, and it was like all throughout. I don't can't remember. It was just before. It was, it was during like the Trump impeachment time, um, or one of the Trump impeachment times. And um, and he was, you know, just giving interview and interview and interview and interview. And so at one point in time, we're like we're having a little bite to eat because he is in between like another interview, and I'm like do you ever do anything other than that here? Like what, like, do you guys actually pass any bills here? He's like, no, not really. I mean, it's like, I said, if you, in, in Annapolis, you know, working on things like what you were just talking about. And, you know, we used to write amendments on napkins and like throw, a, you know, basically throw it out into the, into the Senate floor to like, and have debates about these unbelievably intelligent you know, like these these erudite conversations about any number of different issues, and you know, you a lot of the laws that are sitting there on the books right now, nobody will know where they came from, but you and I do. Like yeah. it was that type of process. Yes, that doesn't go on in Washington D.C., right? It's just like a lot of. Well, the, I mean, I the see these guys arguing at each other all the time. You, you you get some back and forth there, like you get, um, but not as much in that it's not as consequential. In that I remember for one. The, Jamie Raskin and I going back and forth on the floor. Jamie was absolutely brilliant, much much more intelligent than myself. Me too, yeah. But yeah, the brilliant. one thing that Jamie, I, his one problem was he always had a lot of bills and a lot going on, and so he'd get a little scattered. And he was the go-to guy when they were trying to do stuff. you know. So in this case, there was a bunch of gun control bills they were trying to pass, and I can't remember what happened, but somehow they come over from the House or whatever. One of them was just really dumb. And it said banning guns on college campuses, right. which sounds sounds like, oh, why would you want that? That's very common sense. Well, until you figure out the University of Maryland owns like hundreds of acres out on the eastern shore. Nobody knows where campus property starts and stops. You right. know, you think about when you're driving in, you know, in UMD or like in downtown Baltimore, where there's different college campuses. So it's like, would they put up signage? How would it work? And there's stuff out there that's not that they own that's not even signed, whatever. So practically speaking, it was just a mess. It always was. It would. It didn't work. And there was there was another one or two gun provisions in there. That didn't work. So they had walked over Jamie the last day of session. Sign die. And Miller's. I don't know why. All of a sudden, Miller wanted it. So Miller's aide gave right. it to Jamie because he was the floor master, their best talker. He gets it. He does not really understand what the bills do. I There's remember three this. of them jammed into one. Right. And I know what they do at this point. I've forgotten 90% of it. But at that point, I knew every part of that bill. And I was just railing on Jamie, railing on him to the point where Mike had to be like, uh, you know, settle down, settle down. And Jamie would try to answer something. And he'd be, he was totally wrong one time. I remember I was like, I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not right what you just said. That's inaccurate. You know, and so we're going back and forth. And this was a great point because we had- This couple, was on the last night of session too, yeah, right? Yeah, last day. Right. And the last day, you know, they you can't any talking, any filibustering uh, would prevent the bill, would hold up lots of other bills behind it because Maryland has to constitutionally end on the 90th day. So at midnight, we stop. 
Right. Whatever's not passed is dead. Has to start again next session. Plus, half the legislators are are inebriated by that point in time, so you can't really go on. So we get there, and so say that, all honey. of a sudden, I'm making my arguments. We're going back and forth. My phone starts to ring. John Astle calls me. Mm-hmm. He says, is what you're saying true? I was like, yeah. He's like, can you show it to me? So I go, and I show him in the bill. Watch your wire. And he says, uh, <laughs> he says, uh, I show it to him, and then he called Mike on his floor phone. He goes, I'm not going to vote for closure, right. which means that I could have sat and held that bill yeah, right. until the end of session. Right. So Mike, I'm up there making my argument. I'm going back and forth, and Mike just looks at me. This is hilarious, because I had been in the Maryland House, and the Maryland House of Republicans is completely, you're almost irrelevant in a lot of ways, especially it's even worse now. And Mike looked at me, and he goes, Senator, if you'll sit down, I'll make this bill go away. I think he said, if you sit out and don't say another word, something like that. <laughs> and I looked, I looked around and I'm like, like, is it, is great. it, is it, is this serious? And then I was like, JB Jennings or something. He looked at me, he goes, sit down, sit down. <laughs> so yeah, that was it. That I don't was think Jamie liked the bill either, by the way. I remember him not particularly liking it either. Or he, at least he said he didn't. Yeah, he was just like the go-to guy. A dumb bill. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, it's something that's, like you said, it sounded good. There's a lot of things like that, right? Everything, it sounds good. It's easy to put on 144 characters on Twitter, which didn't exist at the time. But I, don't, like, I don't know. They might have passed the, they did some, and I couldn't tell you. They did I'm some. I'm sure they did something. They did some giant gun control bill this year, so maybe it's included in that. But that bill on its own merit could never pass through a supermajority Democrat uh, chambers. I mean, it. They tried like six, seven times because it had so many problems. It also didn't make any sense. I mean, from a policy perspective, which is really the, the only thing that matters or should matter, it's like like what you were saying was right. It's I get it. Nobody wants to have guns on college campuses, right? I mean, there's no in a utopian world, nobody, you know, I mean, that like you wouldn't need them for anything. In a utopian world, no one has a reason for a gun, right? Yeah. But like, but on this one in particular, this was not like a gun control versus gun rights type thing. This was a practical. You're going to make a crime of something, and they're going to unknowingly go on to a college campus. It's not like there's, you know, you be driving down the road, and all of a sudden you're on campus property, and so. There was no way to fix that in the bill. Yeah. It just you were going to unwittingly make criminals of people who just were driving. I think one of my favorites was it just shows you when DC and the the big politics invade people that are just commonsensically judging. So Senator Van Hollen came in front of us because he wanted the uh, "no fly, no buy" was the slogan. If you were on the terror, and they came in, and I remember Van Hollen came in, and it, well, look, if you come in front of us, we get to ask questions. And so he said, if you are on the terrorist watch list. You should not be able to buy a gun, which that on paper sounds very good. Of course. And I said, well, I have a question for you because you're with the federal government. I am not. How do you get put on that list? Well, Department of Homeland Security, I guess, puts you on there. Okay, so I get on there. How do I get off? Like if they incorrectly put me on there. And I read a story about someone who had been incorrectly put on there. And he goes, well, there's, you know, back and forth looking for help. I don't know. And then all of a sudden... There is no way. There's no way to get off. There's no procedure to get off. It's a completely procedural list yeah. that they're trying to stop people from boarding planes. It was never meant to actually stop people from exercising constitutional rights and things like that. And so, wasn't it like the police didn't have access to it? Also, yeah, that was another problem. Like there was, the police didn't have yeah. access to the list, so it's like, how are we gonna how how are we practically gonna even do this? Yeah, there was there was like a thousand technical problems with it that no one knew exactly how you got on the list. 
No, one, there was no procedure to get off it if you were mistakenly put onto it. State police didn't have access to it. I remember this. So they come in, so they come in with this whole, uh, you know, basically to politic and all this in front of us, and not even knowing the bill, not understanding even the process of how it would work. But this was another part for just our job, why it was so difficult, because people would come in with these slogan-type bills that sounded so good, but then when you rationally looked at it, um, you know, you saw there'd be a lot of problems with it. So yeah, if yeah, we, yeah. I don't know that any, maybe some states pass that, but if you're some city, like nobody, of course, wants to have a terrorist be able to buy a gun. But if you are mistakenly put on some list and you can't get your name off, how can you deny somebody a constitutional right based on that? It yeah, just, yeah, yeah. it doesn't make any I, sense. I remember this entire thing. It would thing. not withstand yeah. a single lawsuit. As soon as somebody sued on it, the whole thing would have gone down. And the police, the police came in. They're like, we don't know who's on the list. How are we supposed to stop this? <laughs> like, like how, how are you supposed to know who's on a private list? The exporting goods when they go in for that thing, they have no idea. Like if you're buying a gun, I assume you can, I don't I think know. I think it was the last time we saw Senator Van Hollen in the committee <laughs> too. <laughs> you know what? There was a story actually that I know. Well, there's one that I want. One of my favorite stories, and it's really like it actually was a really important piece of legislation that you did. It's the only time I actually thought a task force was was important was yours. I got I don't even remember. Like we got so invested in this. Thing. So like through our expungement, through dealing with trying to figure out what was a nonviolent misdemeanor, and there was no list. Mm-hmm. You know, we knew what we are. We kind of came right in our face what we already knew, which was the Maryland had this hazard you know criminal law system where it's like you just crimes were scattered throughout our law books they were in the natural resource article or in the criminal law article i mean they were everywhere and so natural resources isn't that uh what was it johnny ray's law uh what (laughs) What did he do Uh, illegal hunting uh... oh my god anyway (laughs) anyway yeah you were like why don't you sit down this is not gonna go well for you (laughs) um so like at the end of the day, so so you put in a task force on classifying crimes, right? To try to make a little bit more sense of our criminal losses. So you'd have like class A misdemeanors, class B misdemeanors, class A felon, you know, like I think every other state does, or certainly most of them do, some kind of organizational. So that when we did things like, I don't know, try to expunge, you know, crimes or something, that we actually would have a system for doing it. So this is where things look like DC to me. And this is, it's everything that I, I always try to fight against because it was your bill mm-hmm. and you were a conservative Republican and you had been against some Democrats bill for, 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 for policy reasons. You had a philosophical policy difference on some bill that somebody in the house of delegates had. Yeah. So they made the decision. They were going to kill this bill because it was yours. Mm-hmm. And I remember when they were going to do it. I'm like, I remember I won't mention names. It doesn't matter. But some delegate, quite partisan, was like, well, we're going to kill this bill. He's a Republican. And he voted this. And he voted. And I said, if you do that, like, this is my committee member and my friend, but it's my committee member. And if you have a policy reason to kill his bill, by all means, and say it. But if you are going to do that because of the letter that goes after his name, you're going to have problems with me, right? Because this is not just his product. It's all of our work product, right? And it's important, yeah. right? This is important for lots of things. So if you do that, there will be ramifications, <laughs> which that was my, you know, I mean, people get mad, got mad at me, but that was the way of doing things, right? If, I mean, if you couldn't do it by reason, it's like, all right, listen, I'm going to kill 37 of your bills if you if you mess with my man Huff. You know, it's like, that's essentially what it had to came, come down to. And then they killed your bill anyway, remember? 
or they amended something on whatever it was. We took your crime classification task force, and I I mean, I think that passed into like seven times or so. We amended on every one of their bills. (laughs) That's a little tricky to get around them killing your. If you don't, you know, uh, I think it's. You know, Reagan used it a lot, but it was if if you don't care who gets the credit, you can accomplish a lot. That's and, right. And so I always felt that too, especially in the Senate, because you could take somebody else's bill and you could rewrite it, fix it for them, and pass it. And you know, I didn't care. What do I care if I get the credit? You know, after we did the justice reinvestment, I don't think any of my constituents knew I did that. They're not following the day in and day out of the Maryland General Assembly and following all this stuff. So right. it was. Uh, um, if you don't care who gets the credit, like I said, and you're a policy person, you can do a lot down there and pass a lot of stuff. But that is a part that makes it hard is is it's uh, people's egos you have to deal with. And, you know, I don't I think it's gotten worse, the checks and balances on that kind of stuff. Like when I first went into office, it was told that there is a bipartisan rule. It doesn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, but if you act like a jerk or you're behavior is bad. There's a sort of a self-reinforcing mechanism in that people won't pass your bills. They won't deal with you. Right. You are limiting your effectiveness as a legislator because you are basically a rude person or whatever. You know, you've broken decorum, you know, the sort of standards. And I would say that it slipped a lot by the time I left, that some of the people that were rude and outspoken were actually more in like leadership type positions. Don't you and, see that now in, in yeah. everywhere in politics? I do, I do. And I think there is actually, I mean, this is more of a national, I think there's actually an incentive to be rude and outspoken and in your face, that those are the people that get the media attention, they get the yep. likes, because this whole thing is monetized now, you know? Just like the uh, your your podcast here is monetizing, making millions we're looking of dollars for sponsors soon. here. Yeah, we have high I mean, budget from the law offices of Zerkin and Schmerling. I mean, to be honest, so that's probably one of the the challenges uh, you're going to have because we're sitting here having a rational conversation. If we were just sitting here calling people names and railing on them and all that, there's clearly a base of people out there to listen to that. You know, right. you're doing a new experiment here. There is there a base of people out here to listen to thoughtful conversations about policy, about how legislative chambers work, and things like that. But it is so monetized now because, you know, even major newspapers and things like that, it's all set up now where how many clicks are you getting? That's all they care about. Right. You know, how many clicks are you getting? Because you click on the ad, you click on the story and the ads are in there. And so you've got to, you know, they're looking for content, you know, and it's got to be hot content and stuff like that. And and the people that drive that are a lot of times the most incendiary members of Congress. I mean, if you look at... Uh, both on the right and the left, I mean, how much media and press attention to AOC and, and Marjorie Taylor Greene get? Right. I An mean, inordinate amount for two people that are like completely yeah. and wholly ineffective, right? I mean, I, I mean, mean, for AOC, I mean, people, almost everyone, actually everyone knows, but she's probably got more name ID than almost any other member for somebody who is who's almost completely inconsequential as a member of Congress, right. who opposes bills, offers amendments, and gets almost no votes on them. But because she's, you know, uh, has a big following on social media, her, who she herself built, but also because on the other side, we'll use her as, you know, the, the enemy and things like that. But uh, she's driving social media. She's driving ad revenue and things like right. that. It's, it's sad, actually. And I, I'm scared. I hope, I hope there's a market for what we did. I hope there's a market for what we're talking about. Because I, when you talk to people, I don't know about you, but because you, you were running for all, I've been out for a couple of years now, and you were just running. Like when I talk to people, this is what they hunger for, right? They want people working together. You hear that, but then 
it keeps going in the other direction. Like they keep, they keep all across the country electing people who don't do that. And so the question is, which is right? What I'm hearing from people, what they say to you about what they want or about, or is it, uh, or what they keep electing. I, I don't get it. I think the challenge is becoming that all politics are becoming national. Is is that's what I'm seeing? Is even when I was out knocking on doors and talking to voters, they were very focused on national issues. You know, here I my last election I was running for county executive, and they're asking me about abortion, which county executive has nothing to do with abortion, or talking about Donald Trump, which you know is, is a federal candidate, and so it's all very much. Uh, becoming national. In Maryland, for the Republican Party, it's become difficult because Maryland Republicans would obviously always do very poorly in presidential elections. But then in the off year, the gubernatorial year, Maryland would be very competitive because people would very much focus state on the candidates. And that's why people like Bob Ehrlich or Larry Hogan would win. People would At se- least Larry Hogan anyway. Yeah, but people would separate Okay, how I feel about George W. Bush, or how I right. feel, you know, about, you know, whatever Trump or whoever, and then who would be the best governor? You know, who would be the best candidate for this? And I think that's that. I wonder if that seems like that's disappearing, Maybe. at least in the era that we're in now. Were there any coming back to like us and what we did? Were there any issues that you remember? I remember one vividly. I was just wondering if you remember. You remember any issues where you and I were like really on the other side of, of each other on it? That we were disagreeing. Yes, fracking. I was going to think <laughs> that's the one I was going to say too. Yeah. What do you remember? About, what do you recall about that story? Uh, the big thing I remember, I mean, I was just, you were, you were always trying to lobby me on that. And, you know, oh, if you'll do this, you for know. For the record, I was against fracking. Yeah, and you I were was for you it. Were, you were like, much. I I think your comment to me at a Raven's tailgate was, I love fracking. <laughs> yes. I'm and big, I'm like, I'm going to ban it. I am a big proponent of natural gas. I think it is a great thing. I think it's led to cleaner emissions. I could go on and on. But uh, I think it causes cancer. When you would come <laughs> up to me and start to lobby on that, I would just say, I love fracking. You remember anything about the story yeah. about how that all came about? Yeah, of course. Yeah. You want me to tell it? You started. I'll jump in. Well, this is a good story. Listen, you were not part of the story. I mean, you were a huge part of the story, actually, but like you were just on the other side of it. But this is another bipartisan thing that happened. Yeah. So, my first, I was a big supporter of Larry Hogan. Uh, I won't get in the weeds too much. We had a, we'd had a, a disagreement that was, and we started to basically have a back and forth. His first year of office, and. He and I were not getting along. I was holding up uh, some of his appointments. He was vetoing my bills. It was not good. And we were very much on the outs. And you were too. You had given a floor speech that was going after him. Right, because he said we were on like spring break or something. <laughs> he throwing spring, chairs and throwing, drinking beer and throwing and spring and uh, throwing chairs on spring yeah. break. And that was the night. That was the day after you that we had been in in uh, committee listening to sex offense victims all day. I was like. This does not feel like spring break to me. And you also didn't, because he and I were having so many problems. You're like, I don't like him because he's been tough to my guy, Huff. Like, so it's this whole <laughs> you thing. You mess with Huff, you mess with me. <laughs> so we were at a Ravens game, and uh, we went to a tailgate. And uh, a Zirkin tailgate is like none other. My brother, who was just graduating college, like ran away because he's like, they were drinking too much. I couldn't handle it. <laughs> It was me and your brother, Billy Z, and you. And then we went over. There was another tailgate that a, I think a lobbying firm was doing. Yeah, but it was whatever. Like a tent or something. Yeah, Governor Hogan ended up coming in. And we're all like, oh, because we'd had these problems with him. And, but 
that is it's so funny because it's so in the past now because i think you and i are both now huge larry hogan fans yeah we, we love the guy he was a great governor and he uh and he's a great people person you can't help but not like him when you're around him and so we we basically went and had a couple drinks with him and shots and things like that and then Although, uh, yeah he said it was bud light i don't recall that he might have had a bud light we were drinking i don't we were drinking i shots. don't remember any bud light <laughs> <laughs> we had a little bit heavier than that unless bud light looks a lot like fireball but, but continue. anyways <laughs> so uh yeah it's kind of a blur after that but anyways <laughs> We we sort of squelched our our issues, all of us, with the governor then, and uh, yeah, when when you ended up, you were pushing the fracking through. Mike Miller was not on your side. The no. chair of the committee was definitely against you. They were all against me. Yeah, so I don't remember how you got out, but I remember you then. <laughs> you ran down. You didn't have a. I have for some reason you didn't have a tie on or something. But there you are on this press conference, like you were on the precipice of passing this thing, but it wasn't a sure deal. And then I see you on TV there with Governor Hogan. You're standing behind him, and Governor Hogan's uh, ending fracking, and you're standing there behind him. <laughs> so my, my recollection, so we were at that tailgate, and I remember, I mean, we, we had been there for a while, and he came, and Larry came over, and he had just had these fresh poll numbers. Do you remember that? He had yes. Meeting, and he was telling us how popular he was, which he was, but he, he was really excited to tell us because we were like the first legislators. He had just gotten these numbers. I said in my, you know, whatever state we were in, I said, you know what else is really popular, Governor? He's like, what? I'm like, banning fracking. <laughs> you and I had just been arguing about it. And he's like, you know, you know I've, I've heard you're pushing that. And I'm like, I'm going to come. And I start talking. Da, 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 da. It was like, you know, whatever. Anyway. Um, it was kind of adversarial, I remember, because you were really, we were all, it was like kind of, me and him was awkward, and you and him was like adversarial because he—I think he actually said something like, "You know, I'm very popular." And you go, "Well," and you said something, "Well, I'm very popular in my district." Like, I said something, you know, who's popular in my district? Me. But anyway, yeah. I don't know. This is terrible talking. This is a lot of like pumped up talking. Tell anyway. So like, I start. You know, she, he, and I completely made up. Like we both apologized for like the things that had happened. You know, I, I'd probably gone a little overboard. He, you know, it was one of those, and we became friends. He, he's a good person. He's a very good person. I mean, one of the things you told me about him. Uh, was uh, I know when your mother was going through cancer, everyone knows Governor Hogan's a cancer survivor, that he brought you up and was talking about it. And... Called my mom. Yeah, he called my great. mom like before she passed. He like called wow. her and talked to her for like an hour without even telling me. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he is a great, he's a great mm -hmm. human being. But he wasn't with me with fracking at the time. So like it was, you know, anyway. So, but back to the fracking thing. So Miller was against, so the president of the Senate was against me. The chair of the committee was against me where the, where the bill was sitting. And as you explained before, it was sitting in her drawer. And Mike Miller said that he was going to, quote, shove the fracking bill up my ass. <laughs> Which I was like, well, we'll, uh, we'll see about, you know. I mean, he had the ability to do it. But I remember, so I go to the committee and Joan Carter Conway, who's, who was the chair of the committee whose bill that was in. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I'm drawing your bill. We're not even ever She's voting on this. Customer. Oh, she was tough. Oh my God. She was so tough, tough and not fair, but tough. But she, uh, <laughs> so she, she was not a benevolent. Oh my God. So she, so she and Miller were both like, this bill is being shoved up your rectum. I'm like, okay, well, we'll see. So we go to the committee and she starts yelling. You had this a couple of years. I like... had this. Well, remember I did the fracking liability act. That was my first, my first effort was to make the oil and gas industry like, like bankrupt for fracking by, by suing the hell out of them. But they didn't let me get that one. So then I just went for the out and out. Man, because it's like cancer and all the, anyway. So 
we get to the committee and she says, well, because I had 24 co-sponsors on the bill, 24 or 47. I had a majority of the general of the Senate. It had already passed out of the House, primarily because they had cut a deal that Miller was going to kill it. So the Speaker of the House was also, I think, in favor of the time. So he let it out, knowing the Senate was going to kill it. But I had 24 co-sponsors. I said, Madam Chair, I said, the majority of the senators want this bill. You are going against the will of the people. Mm-hmm. She did not like that when I said that. And so she started yelling. And she says, you only have 24. You need 29 co-sponsors to pass this bill. If you get 29, I'll pass the she goes, I'll pass the goddamn bill today. I said, why do I need 29? It's only the majority. She goes, because the governor is going to veto the bill. And if you get 29 to override his veto, yeah. I'll pass your goddamn bill today. And she starts yelling at me. <laughs> I'm like, because of a governor veto? He's not said a word about it. She says, well, that's what, I, that's what you want. So I went to all the other people, all the other senators, and everyone's like, yeah, I'm, I'm for your bill. But President Miller said, <laughs> said he would kill all my stuff if you... If, you, if I put my name on, he goes, but you get it on the floor, I'll vote for it. Like profiles and courage. So, uh, so finally, I'm like, you know, I'm working with Shank. I'm calling the Kiefer Mitchell and the governor and the governor got badgering. I'm sending up like research articles that say that there are leukemia clusters and all the Deep Creek people are coming down. And all of a sudden, like, finally, Larry decides, you know, Governor Hogan decides to join me with it. Bipartisan, the only state in the country to do this by legislative and the only state to do it in a bipartisan mm-hmm. way. And he calls me and says, I'm joining you. So we have this press conference where there's no longer a gubernatorial veto coming. Oh my God, Miller and Conway, my phone was blowing up over the weekend after I had that. I ignored them all weekend. We get to our, our, our Democratic caucus and they are so mad at me. <laughs> it's like Miller walks in because Larry Hogan got credit for mm-hmm. a big environmental victory for like what the all the environmental all the environmentalists wanted and he they took credit and miller walks in he goes he starts shaking his head he's like oh mr this is what i look like when i'm a chairman of a committee you know chairman of judicial proceedings committee and this is my chairman i love larry hogan and he starts like bobbling his head like a bobblehead back and forth i love larry hogan he's my best friend he's gonna ban fracking with me and all it was this is going on for 10 minutes i'm just like I look, I'm like, I don't look like that. <laughs> and that is how you ban fracking in the state of Maryland. And you were on the other side of it. <laughs> I was. There was actually, and you got a bunch of Republicans on it too, like three, at least three or four. I mean, you got a couple of Republicans. All the past. people on the Bay. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a good, it was a good outcome for both of us because you did that and you became close to the governor. And actually the governor, uh, you know, he was great with me. I mean, he was not. Um, I guess one of the criticisms that some Republicans would have or whatever, which he went out and did a lot of fundraisers. But I mean, for me, he was great. He was super engaged. He did my last election. He, you know, was in my commercials and he was, you know, he was one of the reasons why, quite frankly, my election was so close when I had the top of the ticket losing so badly because he was popular. So he's, he was a great guy. He was, uh, I was, you know, very loyal to him as governor. And Well, we could do this for a long time. I, I want to... I don't want to go on because we're going to do this some more because at some point in time, this is going to be across the aisle with Senator Bobby Zirkin and Senator Michael Huff. But we'll talk about that another time. But before before I do wrap up, I mean, we're not quite there yet. Are there any other bills? Like I have a whole list of things here just that I was just like reminiscing about in my mind. Just so many, so many that we could talk about where we work together. Are there any that like pop in your head is like things where you're like, you know what? This is amazing. We We did this and we did it together. 
Besides, what, what, what did you get left on your list? So there? I got. I mean, I wrote down there. Although I think you ended up being like this to me at least. Um, was one of the more interesting ones was the red flag law, which I know you ended up voting against. Yeah. Um, and that was a bill, at least the effort, it was a gun bill. Gun bills always divide people so badly, yeah. but like, cause it was hard. You go back home, but like, I just remember it was about the effort was to try to get guns out of the hands of it's controversial, but it's the effort is to get guns out of the hands of people before they commit crimes, before they do horrific things from people that should not have them. It's very difficult I mean, it's like the kind of thing I remember you and me and Chris Shank and others were sitting in the back room just trying to figure it out. Right. Because like you're, you're sitting there like, you know, you, everybody agrees you want to get hand, guns out of the hands of quote dangerous people and quote people that have yeah. mental health issues. But like, you're not talking about a, somebody who has bulimia. Right. But that's a mental health issue. It's so very, how do you do it? Yeah, It's very difficult to figure out how you adjudicate that whole thing. And, very challenging. And, and obviously, as somebody who's pro Second Amendment. A lot of these things that are caused, you know, these mass shootings and things are people who are mental illnesses and and, and in most cases never should have gotten a, a gun in the first place. And right. so how do you stop people? How who do you are, stop it? How do you take for people who are seriously mentally ill or people who, and Maryland's law? There was at least agreement because Maryland's law was pretty weak. I think you had to been involuntarily committed for a certain amount of time. Right. And it was it, completely toothless at the time. Yeah. And it was like, well, what if you voluntarily committed yourself? And like, right. how you do you deal with to stop people from how do you deal with that? So in. it was tricky. But um, gun laws in general are very tricky because you've got, uh, you know, you've got committed bases out there. And I'd say in my time there, particularly the left now all of a sudden had with Moms Demand Action a committed base on their side because it used to be just the pro-gun guys would come down and then you had the, right. you know, the Moms Demand Action would come down. And it was difficult too because, you know, I'm going to pick on the advocates here, one of the bills. A lot of the advocates who wanted uh, a number of bills, just every year we had to deal with gun control bills, every single year. But a lot of the advocates that came in, I'm going to give you, I guess, a precursor for your next show, because I know you got Mark Pennick, I think, coming in here, your wife told me, who uh, a lot of the advocates weren't familiar with firearms themselves. And a lot of these bills are very intricate, how they dealt with firearms. And they weren't as familiar with the law and things like that. Whereas people on the other side, the opposition side, people like Mark Pennick, were complete experts and understood right. the law backwards and forwards. And so it was just always tech. The bill, those, the gun control bills were technically very challenging. And I know we struggled. What was it? Vanessa Atterbury had one for years that we went back and forth on. It's like uh, secondary transfers or something of like. Oh, this was the long like, guns. Uh, the of, long uh, guns. Like, uh, muskets or something. <laughs> so it felt like. Yeah, we spent all this time, years dealing with long guns, which long guns are rifles and shotguns. Uh, you know, it wasn't even like it wasn't the purchase. It was like if you were going well, duck trans- hunting with your friend and well, you handed your yeah, your it duck became it went into that. It was, yeah, like, it, was, it just went. I, mean, I remember though they they brought out these advocates, one in particular that, I and mean, it was a horrible thing. I mean, she was you felt horrible for this individual. She had lost her husband to a a gun shooting at the Capitol Gazette, in in a in a, and she was like really passionately for this bill, which had zero to do which with what happened at the Capitol yeah. Gazette like it literally had nothing to do with it the the Capitol Gazette shooting had lawfully purchased the gun what they should have been more passionate about was 
helping to bolster up a red flag type law where you would stop people from getting it in the first place. And like the secondary transfer of muskets and whatever else they were talking about had yeah. zero to do with what happened there. But that's where like the press didn't say that the press just kind of, you know, made it seem like somehow these things were related. And it so was, it just, and for me, it was, it was frustrating dealing with particularly, I remember the long gun bill because you had somebody, either moms in action or the Brady group, they had a, basically a model bill. And they're like, just pass this model. And it didn't fit with Maryland law. It didn't fit. It didn't fit with what they were trying to do. You were going to end up catching people who were going, the original as it came in, if, you know, my kids, for example, they, they shoot, used to shoot trap and they were on a team. And when they do that, I mean, you basically, there's guns that like you buy for the team. When they go out, uh, you know, the instructor will hand them out and things like that. And, you know, so they, and they're on the range and they go shoot the, uh, you know, shoot trap there in front of their supervisors something the whole time. But the way that the bills originally constructed, it was like the instructor just handing them these shotguns. Like it comes into a legal transfer. Like a, it was like a ten-year felony. Yeah, and you're like having to explain to people who, you know, Maryland is a diverse state, so you've got you know people in Southern Maryland, Western Maryland, where that's a hobby. The kids will go out and shoot trap. They may do maybe a team high school sport versus like Montgomery County or Baltimore City, where there may not be much familiarity with that legislator with guns at all. They may, some of them have never shot a firearm before at all. So it's just, it's just different explaining it. But I think one of the uh, frustrations I had was when you look at Baltimore city, it's handguns. Handguns are almost exclusively the issue of what are called and they're illegal handguns. And so this, the legislature spent, I don't know how many years, four years trying to fix this and set up an elaborate system, which they ultimately did. I don't know how many people are using it, but it's on long guns, on hunting rifles and shotguns, where you this, the problem still existed. It exists. Right. They ignored the they it, they ignored the real problem. You know, I you remember I asked it's that. It's gotten question. no better. It's gotten funny it's thing only is, gotten worse since we've I mean, it was it was a problem when we were elected, and it's worse since we've left. It's illegal handguns that are flowing into the city. Uh, that is the issue. And I don't know. You know, when I left, they had not really passed a crime bill. I don't know what they've done on it as far as the simple and the governor. This is Governor Hogan really tried this to say if you're arrested, you're carrying a gun multiple times, you're illegally in possession of it. There'll be more time in jail. Yeah. And I, I know the maybe they did something because I know the city prosecutor, really, the new prosecutor seems like he's doing a good job and wants to crack down on this stuff. So, you know, what the worst was it was like, it's like, and for those who are listening, like, you're much more, you know, you, much more kind of pro quote pro second amendment. And I voted for many, many gun control bills, but like o over my years in office, but like, you know, there must, like you said, there's like 30, 35 bills. I mean, I remember there was one, one, you remember the, like they, they wanted me to, I was chairman of the committee with the first year. I thought they were kidding. They, they wanted a regular, they wanted a law saying like the color of water guns would have to be pink, my like, pink and fluorescent. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? They're like, no, no, no. You want a, a, a state law that says that water guns have to be the color pink. Like, you want me to put that into the law? Like, why? There's a rationale for it. Like, some somebody had, like held up a, a water yeah. gun and was shot because the police thought it was a real gun. So we needed all water guns to be pink. I'm like, how many water guns are made in the state of Maryland? Like, what are you going to do? Like, when, like, Mattel or whatever sends in. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's just. And then if you killed it, you got like obliterated online as if you were somehow, you know, a card carrying like, you know, that, that it was your fault that everybody was getting. I don't know. So that's interesting. The, the other one that, that I, I thought was really interesting was um, was uh, 
And it's just kind of not that it's a really hard issue. Unbelievable. It was really troubling for me. And I know it was for you too. And I, um, and that was this like, um, death with dignity or assisted suicide or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's like very tough issue, very tough issue. And like, I don't remember where you fell on it. I was very torn. I was adamantly opposed. You were adamantly opposed to it. Why were you opposed to that? You know, I just think, I think culturally, you know, I think the value of life and things like that are being degraded somewhat in our culture now. And I, 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 the biggest thing I worry about that if you set up a system where you're going to have assisted suicide, you know, things like taking care of the elderly or people with mental disabilities who are big advocates against it. They were worried about it, um, you know, or hospice, things like that, that if you set up a system, then, you know, the insurers, everyone else is going to look at it and go, hey, why don't you just use assisted suicide? Why are you going to be a burden on your family? Or, you know, yeah. I just think it puts a terrible pressure on somebody at the end of life. Yeah. I feel like this gets into this is why this was tricky. This is not a legal, a lot of it's not, a lot of it was legal questions. And, but, there are big moral implications into it. And morally, I just think it sets up a system where it degrades life and the value of it. And it puts somebody in a terrible position. If you get a if you get a terminal cancer diagnosis or you get Lou Gehrig's disease or something like that, where you know you're going to be a burden on your family and others, it becomes a pressure. Well, you should just use assisted suicide, which I don't think you want. I don't think that's, um, I'm a Christian, I believe in, you know, and I don't think that's what God wants. You know, I, I think that we're supposed to care for people till the end. So I remember they, I was very torn. I wasn't, I wasn't on that side of the issue. I wasn't quite sure where I was. This was one that really troubled me. This and the death penalty always kind of, I always like was running back and forth in my mind on it. So for this one, it's like in the right circumstances, I was concerned about what you were talking about. Also, I was okay with the idea of it in very, very, very specific circumstances where the person is really in pain, really not. You're not getting better, not any other choices. And I was, but I was concerned, but you know, I remember if the people who were pushing this bill were coming from out of state and they, they presented us, yeah. do you remember this? They presented this bill that I can't like remember Oregon, the woman's Oregon or, or Washington yeah. or something. And I, I remember I'm walking up, I'm so tired. I mean, it's like towards the end of session and we have this bill and it's so complicated and moral and the, it was a piece of garbage bill. Also just the details of it were horrible. And so I'm like, but I, I, a lot of people wanted it. People were asking about it. I was kind of for it, but I needed it to be tight. So this, this woman from Oregon or Washington or whatever state, some West Coast state comes up and she goes, Mr. Chairman. I said, yeah. She goes, I'm such and so. Oh, nice to meet you. Da, da, da. She goes, finger, she, tiny person. And I'm tiny. So, you know, she's really tiny. Put her finger in my face and goes, I, no, no, not I, we demand that you pass this bill with no changes, no amendments. Yeah. And, uh. And if you don't, I'm going to the Washington Post. As he said, I'm like, Miss whatever your name is. I said, listen, I have to tell you two things. First of all, my com- you don't know my committee. Like, I understand you're from another state. But, like, we always have changes to the bills. These bills usually come in as bad. And your bill's really bad. But, like, we're going to – I said, if this bill has the legs, we're definitely going to, like, change some things around about it because this bill – Maybe it works in your state, but it, that doesn't work with our law. And number two, you're literally the 13th person who, who like threatened that you were going to press today. So like you have a long line over there. Can you go talk to Hoff about this or something? And we ended up passing the bill out of our committee. You remember this with like, I don't know, 
137 amendments or something crazy. But I thought we did a really good job. Well, when it came out, I mean, one of the problems, if you take we away— made it tight. So if you— if you remove the the your, the moral and you just look at the legal issues with it, one of the things they said was the doctor that would prescribe the, I think it was basically a, a huge bunch of barbiturates that you would take, and that was the way, but that the doctor that would prescribe it would be protected from liability, and they would get the special liability protection that no other doctor would get. Right. And when you stripped that out of the bill, that they were— they went at him. They went berserk you about remember, it. But the other amendment they didn't like was because there was this group that was like going around and making some money on it. There was some financial stuff. So I said, nobody, if like if this passes, and you're you are a, a physician or group or whatever that's that's partaking in this, you cannot make money. Like this is this cannot be a money maker. This can only be a palliative care, yeah. palliative care or end of life thing. You may not make money on on this, you know, death with dignity thing. When I put that on, they went nuts. I'm like, uh huh. There you go. Well, the bill, uh, it only made it so in the Senate you get the first thing when it comes to the floor. It goes to what's called second reading, and that's where you offer amendments and changes. And the Republicans then we called for a vote right there, a recorded vote on second reading to say if it should pass that. And it didn't. It failed right then and there. So well, it, do you remember it, how? Yeah, it was twenty three, twenty three. Yeah, with I turn around because I'm like, who's not voting? Like it was, it was there, there was forty seven people there, and it was twenty three to twenty three. And Senator Obi Patterson, who sat right behind me to the left, I turn around because I looked up to you know on the board to see who wasn't voting. I turned around. I thought it was passing, and he had his his arms crossed, and he was just sitting there like defiantly not pushing a button. To, and I got blamed for it, like as if somehow I had told him to do that. I was shocked. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This is so that bill tied 2323 and oh, died on the dead. Senate floor. Yeah, it didn't go any further. And it's, it's not law yet to this day. Maybe it will be next session, but it's not now. It hasn't passed yet. All right. I am, uh, you know, I, you've been here and been incredibly generous with, with, uh, with your time already. I just want to let me just say this. My closing remark is this. This is what it's supposed to be about. We, you and I have always said that to each other. You know, usually during COVID over Zoom with uh, Will and Jeff, you know, Will Smith and Jeff Waldstriker, you know, usually with a with some some interesting drink in our hand or something. But like, this is what it's about, right? Like this talking about issues. You and I don't agree on ish, on every issue. In fact, we probably don't agree on a lot of like the kind of the get philosophical type things. We often these come from it from different sides. But my recollection of our time down there, there, that there was not a single time, at least in certainly in my time as chairman, when I couldn't come to you quietly and we go sit in the back room and we would, you know, get some lunch and talk through the issues. And like, even when you disagreed, we sat through to try, you would help me to make the, the law as good as it could be. And supported each other and worked for even what you may have been a red vote and me a green vote or me a red vote and you a green vote but like never do i remember ever that not happening meaning like yeah. we work together all the time to try to make good law i think it's important to have a a good leader and as chairman of the committee you were a good leader and there were a couple of things one you're very not part non-partisan say not partisan is the better way to put it and uh, it didn't matter where the idea came from, the bill came from. If it was good, we would pass. If it was bad, we would not. 
And the other thing was, I think you were willing to take risk politically. And I think you have to do that. And that means putting a bill on the floor that may cause you reelection or defeating a bill that may cause you reelection. And once you uh, stop caring about some, uh, look, every politician has to care somewhat about the consequences because if you don't care at all, you're not going to be there. But if you are not as focused on the political consequences and more on the policy, I think that is just such a better mindset, not worrying so much about the, you know, what this group says or that group and, you know, not being so partisan about it and just spending that 90 days trying to put out good policy. Good policy is good politics. I agree with you. I, I think that there are more of, I think most people want to do that. And then they get caught either by social media or by gerrymandered districts, which like put them in, you know, in harm's way with some crazy group that, that wants mm-hmm. to try to go at them from the left or from the right. And this, I don't remember what movie, I'm sure that I, I can't remember if it was the American president or some, some, one of those political movies where it's like, you're so, so busy doing your job or, or trying to keep your job that you forgot to do your job. I think that was the American president. And I, I just think if more people started focus, they just, they need to stop focusing on like you said, like it's like a, a sport where it's the red team and the blue team or the green team and the whatever whatever the colors are, that it's just like you're just putting words on the page in the law books, and that's all that people should care about is like the laws on the page. Gonna, that's all they're going to know. It was always funny to me how desperate were people were to pass a bill with their name on it. And I thought, no one's going to remember this is no your bill. No one cared. I can't even remember. I remember sitting in the committee and looking at somebody doing a bill, and I go, oh, this is my law. This was my bill like seven years ago they're changing or whatever. And I like I had forgotten I'd been a part of this or that, and and so no one's going to remember that. They're only going to be, unfortunately, a con- if it's a bad law, someone's going to pay a consequence that this thing passed, and that we had to pass this to you know appease someone or you know someone needed it for their reelection or their ego to have a bill passed with their name on it, and somebody you know could pay a bad consequence because of something that we created a crime where we shouldn't have or didn't deprive somebody of due process. Somebody was going to pay for that. Yep. Well. All right. Well, we I think we've gone far today. We've talked about You're a lot an of hour. issues. I think you can cut down now. What do we do, like an hour and a half? Oh, uh, yeah. We've been here for a while. But we could, you know, the, the great thing is you and I mean, we used to do this all the time and we could do this and we're going to do this some more. Um, I'm definitely, I hope you'll you'll come back and join us on Across the Aisle. I think next time we should have like whiskey, cigars. We should grill like the new legislators about, you know, give them a hard time. We should pull up their bad bills and like, you know, oh, we're definitely going to have some fun with their stuff. And we're going to start we looking at some of the, them. We're going to start looking at, at the national stuff too, and maybe uh, see what they're doing over there in Congress or not doing is the case maybe. But uh, Mike, I, I got to tell you in all, out of all the things in all my years in politics, our friendship has been something that it's endured and something that I treasure from our time in Annapolis and continue to treasure. And I just want to thank you uh, for everything that you've that that we did together, I mean, the list is very long on important stuff, and they're not small bills that had that. I mean, these are big ticket items that that legislatures wrestle with, and often are quite partisan about. And you and I, and and others down there, you know, did this together, which and is the way it's it. supposed to work. We met Bill Belichick too. And we met Bill Belichick, <laughs> and I told him I was a Ravens fan. I didn't want to. I didn't want to shake his hand or something like that. Anyway. We're across the aisle. Uh, I, I'm Senator Bobby Zirkin. This is Senator Mike Huff. And I just want to say thank you. And uh, we'll uh, look forward to the next one.